You're listening to I Think I Like You, a podcast to help you make more sense of your dating life and romantic relationships. I'm your host, Clara Archbacher. I'm a dating and relationship advisor, I'm a writer, and I'm the founder of I Think I Like You, a coaching practice with self-led online programs, one-to-one coaching, and in-person retreats. I started this work because I found most dating advice and rhetoric to be doing women a grand disservice, largely by pulling us out of ourselves and stuffing our brains with other people's ideas and best practices. I want to do the exact opposite. I want to bring you more deeply into yourself in order to navigate this area of your life. I don't view marriage or long-term relationship as the be-all and all. That's not why I do this work. I do this work because I'm extremely passionate about helping women who feel completely stuck in this area of their life and are disenchanted with other resources from traditional therapy to BS, here's how you meet the guy plans. They know there has to be another way, but they're not sure what that way is. That's where we're digging in. If you like what you're hearing, I invite you to head to ithinkilikeyou.co to access more free resources and explore ways to work with me. I also send out exclusive content every other week through my online newsletter. And finally, you can always rate and review or pass the podcast to a friend. Now let's get to the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It feels like it's been a minute because we had some interviews. I didn't get a chance to chat with you all directly. So um, I have much to discuss today. And today's episode is like, y'all, it's kind of all I want to talk about. It's so juicy. And I know, I just know, which excites me that I'm going to get DMs from y'all being like, oh my God, my mind is blown. And that, that just makes me feel so good. Just when the content I put out there, you're listening to it and you're like, I make so much more sense to myself. It's just the best feeling in the world. But before we get to all of that, I have a few things to walk you through. We finally finally have dating meditations. The meditations are live. If you are on the email list, you've already been alerted to them. If you are on Instagram, you'll notice that I posted about them there. Just a quick recap here. And obviously per huge, I'm going to link to all of this in the show notes, but if you are new to the podcast, um, or you hadn't heard me talk about these before, Essentially, give or take like a year ago, I was like, I want to create these audio experiences for the moments in the dating process where you really just need to come into yourself. Maybe you're working with a coach or a therapist on this stuff. Maybe you're talking to friends about all the anxieties and insecurities and unknowns and the things going on in your life or whatever it may be. But, and I know this to be true for what I went through, not just now in my relationship, but I mean, there will be future other ones more rooted in when you're actually in relationship, but in the dating process where I was like, I just need to come into myself and like ground and garner what's there and kind of just like listen to myself and figure shit out. I needed a space to do that. And I, I did it on my own, but when it came to creating something that was ultimately the drive behind the idea and what these are intended for. So there are four of them and they each relate to different areas of the dating process. So there's the pre-date grounding, which is really designed to bring you back to like your why, your greater intention for each date. So you don't get lost in the performance or the people pleasing. You don't leave the date being like, I guess I liked this person. I don't really know. That's the pre-date grounding. Then there's the dating anxiety soother, which is just as it sounds like something to help bring down the anxiety when you're in something, maybe you're getting to know someone and it's good and it's exciting, but you don't know where it's going and, and you feel a little floaty and unsure of yourself. Or there are other anxieties at play, which is all par for the course here. And then the third is the dating disappointment come down, which is basically a space to help you process something not working out as you had hoped. Could be one date, someone you dated for two months, whatever it may be. It it could look like so many different scenarios, but it's just a dedicated space to be like, this really hurt. This was really difficult and I need a place to process. And then the final one is letting someone go. And that's designed to help process the partners, the flings, the connections, whatever it may be that are no longer 
in your life. They're each about 15 to 20 minutes in length. And I'm guiding you through something there. So if you're like, I don't meditate. If you are just wanting someone to talk you through that space and and then use it as a prompt to go and write about it or not, whatever it may be, write about it, I mean, journal about it. Um, Don't be too tripped up by the term meditation. It just felt like the most fitting kind of label for, for what they are because they are me, you know, guiding you into your body and guiding you through a process. Uh, the music was produced by my husband. It was such a labor of love. He edited and produced all of the meditations. And, and for that reason, they honestly, they feel really, really special. They are $18 a piece. So you can buy them as one-offs or you can buy all four for 60 bucks, which saves you just a little bit like to almost 20% on the price. And then as I mentioned before, but again, for those of you who may be new, if you purchase the Conscious Dater online course, which was formerly just like, I think I like use flagship course. It's now the Conscious Dater online course, which is my bread and butter of like how to date, how to pursue partnership consciously. Um, if you purchase that by August 4th, is it? Then you automatically get all of the meditations. They're just thrown in. So you basically can think of it as like knocking, you know, 70-ish bucks off, off the price there if you're if you're motivated by that. But personally, I think they just pair really well together. Um, so that's the deal, y'all. Uh, I as I said, I'll put a link in the show notes to the site, um, the site for the meditations. So you can get more details there and check them out. So yeah, that felt like I know there were a few weeks in there. I'm like, they're gonna be live next week. Uh, it's gonna be next week it always takes longer than you think. It always takes longer than you think, especially a creative pursuit. I'm trying to get better in my life about shortening that gap on that timeline, but it's it's not nothing. So the other thing that I want to highlight is uh, my retreat in the Hudson Valley that is going to be September 12th to the 16th. And I know I've mentioned this to you all in the last kind of, here and there in the last few months, last few weeks. Um, but I was thinking about it and you know, it's been, my husband and I have been through a lot this year. Like there have just been some upheaval and changes in our lives that, um, I will probably talk about at some point, but it's just, it's the kind of normal everyday stuff of being a human in the world, but it was sort of like we were hit by a wave and then another wave and then another wave. Um, and it's been, it's been frankly, kind of a lot moving through that. And we also really um, haven't been able to travel as much because of work obligations and other things going on. And so we have this trip and we're, we're big travelers too. Like last year uh, in 2022, we, we took a couple of big trips. We were in France for three weeks and we were in Costa Rica for two weeks. Um, so it's been hard not having that space and, and we're fine. We're talking first world problems here, um, but we do have a trip to... Colorado in August. We actually planned it in January because there's a concert we're going to see. We're going to see Beck at Red Rocks, which was the thing that prompted the whole trip in the first place. But now like we just finished up like the car rental and Airbnb stuff this morning. And I'm like, we, we have got to be pulled out of our everyday. Like we need this space from our home, from our lives, from our town, not just as a form of respite, but because and there's actually like a, a technical, like a neurological sort of term or or um, understanding around this. It's basically like there's a way in which our brains and our bodies operate when we're in the same environment. And if you put yourself in a new location, that's why always when you like go on vacation or you do a new activity or you do something different that disrupts your every day, it has you like coming up with new ideas and seeing things in a different light. Um, and you don't necessarily need to go on vacation to do that. Um, but I know that that we need that space. And I like having that awareness of it now, you know, being like in my later 30s and having traveled enough where I'm like, oh yeah, it's it's gonna, it's gonna give us that and it's gonna feel so good. Maybe think about this retreat in September, which is sort of the, you know, it's right before we head into the the end of the year, Q4, that type of vibe. And if you are in need of a space where you're just like, you know, I could really benefit from an environment that pulls me out of my everyday. And it's actually a little bit amplified in this context because it's not just like you're going on vacation. You're actually going to a dedicated place to 
rest and renew, but to also be in company and community with people that are like, I'm, I'm here to, to look more intimately at myself, at my life, at like what I want and where I am headed. Um, so if that is of interest to you, we have a few spots left. We would love to have you. I say we, because I'm holding it in conjunction with Catherine Zach. So our days will be a combination of sessions led by yours truly, um, yoga and meditation series with Catherine, uh, time by the pool, and then just the most delicious, yummy food um, that we'll be bringing in locally or um, dining out for at this incredible farmhouse that is straight out of like a Nancy Myers movie. I kid you not. Um, it's Vic Hill Spring Farm in upstate New York. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, it's just going to be a gorgeous, gorgeous few days. So we would love to have you. And again, all details will be in the show notes. All right, y'all. I'm just chomping at the bit. Let's get to today's episode, which I feel like I had nods to this um, in the previous episodes. I want to say there were like 63 and 64 that were all around codependency and anxious attachment and that kind of stuff. Um, Because if you are an overachiever, you probably really related to that content. But today I'm drilling down specifically to the issues of, let me say the issues, but like the unique challenges and obstacles that kind of create this discord between ease and dating a fulfilling relationship and being an overachiever. Um, just to give you all a heads up, I'm actually, I'm recording this from, um, well, from my laptop as I always do, but I'm actually also going to be putting, um, this portion of the episode on YouTube because there is a presentation that goes with it. So if you're like, Ooh, I would want to, I would want to watch that. I'm, I'm trying to do that more and more. Um, but just wanted to give you a heads up on that. So if you, if it sounds a little janky in my mind, like, why is she pausing? I'm like, it's because I'm going into present mode. <laughs> that's, that's what's happening here. But if you're driving, you're just listening, then, um, just keep on keeping on. Okay. So why, why this pairing in the first place? Why was like, I like, I have to do this episode about being an overachiever and the complications or sort of the issues that we face in dating. And I say we, because y'all like tis me, <laughs> all of this is me. Um, so First and foremost, there's a reason that we're looped into this narrative of like, I've been focused on my career. I've just been focused on work. And that's why I haven't met anyone. And there's also a reason why the majority of my clients are in jobs where maybe they like them, maybe they don't. That's that's less important at this point, but they all are overtaxed. They tend to overextend themselves. Maybe they find themselves in toxic scenarios where like they have nasty bosses or their boundaries are being broken or whatever it may be. Um, so right. There's this like, well, I've been focused on my career and I just haven't gotten to that dating thing yet, which is very, uh, low hanging fruit is what I say. If you identify this, this, there's nothing wrong with you. This is not to lay blame or point fingers and be like, you haven't, you haven't really gotten curious to what's at the root. That's that's not what I'm here to say at all. Rather, anytime, anytime there's a consistent narrative, like in any area of my life, anytime I see a pattern where I'm like, huh, same person in her late 30s keeps saying the same thing. I'm like, what gives? <laughs> what else is there? It always wants, makes me want to go further, go deeper, like look beneath the proverbial hood of the car. And it's that same person who's also like, I never meet anyone who wants to commit or there, there, I should be clear. There are a few different flavors here. There are people that are like, Oh, I just don't date that much. And maybe there's like a friends with benefits situation here or there, but like they haven't put that much effort to it into it. Or there's the person that's like, I date a lot, but I never meet people who want to commit. Um, and then the third is people get into relationships and they're like, I'm always the one that is giving so much. Like I, this person can't give me their time or they're not you know, ready to sort of look to the future and plan a life together. So that's 
what I want to look at like that, like why do all those things um, kind of find themselves in the same pool, in the same area? And why is it that these same people, you know, they really have zero issue working really, really hard. Like they're disciplined people. They get shit done. They tackle the to-do list. They tend to be hyper-independent and excel at doing everything on their own. And I should go back to saying we, because again, like me right here. So as I was kind of prepping uh, this episode and, and thinking about the bigger picture here, there, there was this great quote. It's actually part of the video um, that, that I came across from the School of Life, which is the, the um, I guess it's like a business organization foundation, whatever you want to call it, based out of the UK, founded by Alenda Baton, who wrote the um, you know infamous article in the New York Times, Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. But he has great content, great books. I highly recommend. Um, but I just want to read this snippet from one of his, his videos about overachievers. So he said, or rather they said, I'm sure it's not him producing all these at this point. It goes, achieving a lot sounds like a wonderful idea, but we should pause before envying overachievers too much. They are likely to have been driven not just by enthusiasm and intrinsic interest, but also by a more desperate and poignant need to prove themselves to people, usually way back in childhood, whose love was painfully conditional. Okay. Let that baby sit there for a second. I can very much relate to this. I had a couple of um, things happen recently in my life that really reminded me of how much that love and acceptance was conditional. And I'm going to get it. This can be hard to see in ourselves. You can be like, my, my parents loved me either way. And mine did too. And yet a friend of mine recently told me that she says this phrase to her boys which is, and I think I'm sure there are a lot of parents who say this or carry this sentiment, but she says to them, you could never do anything that would make me love you less. And you could never do anything that would make me love you more. And I heard that and I was like, oh, oh, that was the total opposite for me. Like it was clear as day. (laughs) The things I could do, the way I could perform in school, the interests I could pursue, the way I could eat that would be like, ooh, check, check, check. Like that's the box. That's the right way to do it. And it was very clear the less okay, basically the less lovable, which is, you know, when we are young and children and dependent on our parents, that's how it translates in terms of attachment and our subconscious and related to intimacy, right? It was very clear to me that there were certain things that weren't, um, let me give you, like in my family, it was definitely better, quote unquote, to practice playing an instrument and get really good at an instrument versus going into sports or something like, like that, right? So there are these conditions that get learned and created that then drive behavior, right? So our goodness, our acceptance, our love is linked to some form of doing and not just a form. So there, there are two parts to this. When the friend said, you could never do anything to make me love you more. I was like, oh, I could definitely, there were always more, more performative things, usually related to school, usually related to work that I could do where I would get that sort of dopamine hit of approval. And then layer on top of that was that there were certain areas that were, um, better than others, certain interests, certain ways of being that were better than others. So like I said before, this can be a little hard to see in ourselves because we're like, well, but I was free to pursue what I wanted. And, and I was too, in a lot of ways. So I just want to walk through a couple of examples, you know, in my own life with my parents' divorce, it probably started and they divorced when I was like five, six, it probably just started before then because I was like feeling out what was happening in the relationship. But from that, I really learned, like I went full throttle into like, Ooh, here are all the ways that I can make my parents proud. And there's an element of like, that's, I guess, good. I don't know. I'm not so sure about that (laughs) of wanting to make your parents proud. But really what was happening there was that I wanted to achieve or fulfill these things. 
And it's not even based in achievement. It's like, I remember in third grade, I, I was at a friend's house over the weekend. It was around Easter. And I had taken the like little glitter canister from the Easter egg decorating kit. And I had sprinkled it all into my scalp. And then I went to school on Monday and a boy made fun of me for having a sparkly scalp. And I was mortified. And I so desperately wanted to go home. I so wanted to go home. I was so embarrassed. But I don't think that I broke down enough with my mom. Like I didn't like insist upon like going to the the school office or whatever and calling home and asking to be taken out of school. I don't even know if they would have let me do that because I was like, I don't want her to know it's that bad. Right? So... In certain ways, I was withholding and in other ways, I was just laying it on thick with like getting good grades and being in all the extracurriculars or whatever. And ultimately what I was working to do was fill an emotional hole for my parents, make them happier, make them feel better. Whether or not I actually did it doesn't actually, doesn't matter, but that was the, that was the driver there. What I have seen with clients and I definitely have flavors or elements of this too, is like you learn to be the easy child when there's like a troubled sibling, maybe that sibling has, you know, learning development issues, substance abuse issues, or was very sick at some point. Um, or it could be the same thing with a parent. If there's a parent who's suffering from depression, if there's a parent who has a drinking issue, right? The, the child will behave in ways to try and like make it easier for, you know, mom or dad or whomever so that they they don't fall into that behavior and in ways then the child feels responsible for that behavior. It can also be having a parent that never really gave their approval, like never really said you did a good job. Maybe they disapprove of like the choices that you made, you know, as a kid in terms of the interests you pursued or even the career that you're in now, but there can be an always on and like striving element to that. And then another one I see is um, behavior where you're trying to overcompensate for the loss a parent, the parents experienced. So it could be the loss of a sibling, the loss of a job. You know, there's the story of like, my dad lost his job when I was 12 and then X, Y, Z happened or whatever it may be. So it comes in a lot of different forms. If you're like, I really, and I'm going to give you tools in the episode later. If you're like, I really relate to, yeah, here I am, the overachiever, you know, whether you're in your late thirties or early forties or not, this can happen at at any age. I just tend to meet people like around 37 and they're like, why hasn't it happened yet? But it can be any age. In what way may you have learned to be the easy, amenable, successful child? In what way did you learn to get good grades, excel in extracurriculars, behave just in general, like not get in trouble in order to make your parents happy? So this isn't, as I said at the beginning, this isn't all bad in a sense. Like I attribute a lot of this learned behavior to my high work ethic, my discipline, my ability to like go after the things that I want and say like, I will get it done. Um, but these behaviors also tend to go hand in hand with burning ourselves out at work, not asking for help, struggling to ask for help in any of area of our lives, be it in work, friendship, or any other context. And just in general, struggling to relax. Like if you're the person that's like, I just can't sit down and watch TV for hours. I mean, it's still hard for me to relax for hours. I'm I'm a little better with like taking a nap now or cozying up with a book, but watching like hours and hours of television, although I'm not that much of a television person. Either way, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard for me, okay? So it's those behaviors that then often, and this comes back to that kind of like pool of similarity, go hand in hand with the people that are struggling in in general, in their pursuit of partnership, struggling to meet people who want to commit. And they often experience like lackluster partners, people that are like half in, half out, halfway there. Um, And yeah, they struggle to meet people who want to be true partners and co-captains, the people that are like, yeah, I'm ready to, to, to do the life together, to build the life together. So with all of this, this behavior, the way in which we learn to behave, to stay safe and stay loved, we learn a few things from this way of being. And um, namely, they get wired into our nervous system, into our subconscious. Okay. So our nervous systems learn that always being on and always doing is actually safer. 
we learn that love and acceptance isn't inherent, it's gained. That achievement keeps us safe in love. And simultaneously, it drowns out our expressing our needs and desires. So we learn that expressing our needs and desires are unsafe. I feel like I need to say that one more time. <laughs> our nervous systems learn that always being on is, is um, actually safer. That love and acceptance isn't inherent, it's gained. That achievement keeps us safe and love. And that it's not safe to express our own needs and desires. So why the hell does this matter in dating? Well, I can tell you, both in my own experience and in the people that I work with, it's always the person that believes dating is a numbers game. May or may not have a spreadsheet or tracker of past dates. No judgment if you do. (laughs) And feels the only way to actually meet their person is by going on more and more and more dates. Some flavor of this, right? If you're there, if you find yourself there and you're like, I mean, I guess the only thing that I can do is just swipe more and try to meet more people. And then we burn ourselves out with that because it never amounts to anything. So then we have no motivation to date and then we guilt ourselves for that. But if everything is housed in doing and taking literal action in accomplishing something, we will think, right, based on all the other evidence that we have, based on the way we learn to behave, that like that's how it has to be done. And we generally, like, I had and have a lot of evidence in not just my career, but other areas of my life that if like I work hard and I keep trying and I do more and more and more and more, like, I will get the thing that I want. And that is both a blessing and a curse. Um, Before we drop into like, okay, why is all of this doing serving as an obstacle? Like, what are you saying to me, Clara? I want to drop in another quote from some of the school of life content that I was absorbing. So here goes. High achievers for all their accomplishments cannot trust in a basic idea that it might be acceptable to be themselves outside of any acclaim, notice, or distinction. Simply being is never enough. Their right to exist can only be assured by constant doing. I need that like tattooed on my forehead. It'd be pretty long. And I am in this episode going to get into ways in which I struggle with this in my marriage and how I work on it, because this is not one of those, okay, like fix all of this and then you're done. You know, it's an ongoing muscle that we learn to manage. But when our sense of self, our sense of self-worth is attached to all of this doing, we tend to attract takers we tend to attract people that were like, oh, I'll help them out or they're struggling or they're going through a long time. In the dating context, we'll just have a lot of people that are like flaky or don't really follow up. That can also just be like a general self-worth thing. Like I'm not worth following up with or paying attention to. Um, But we'll attract people who might be asking us directly or indirectly to do all the work. Like, plan the date, find the location, like do the whole thing, so to speak. And then the taking can grow deeper into the dating experience or the relationship. So maybe it's that um, you are paying for more of the dinners out or you are supporting them in some capacity or you're giving more of your time and energy and, and they're giving less of it. This also draws people that are emotionally unavailable because actually drawing someone who's emotionally available is in direct conflict with the idea of like, I have to be on and doing um, in order to achieve. But if you're like, huh, what? I'm I'm getting to that. Like I'm, I'm going to explain kind of how that breaks down. I want to take you all a little bit through my own history and how um, being that overachiever, being that person that loved or uh, learned, <laughs> loved and learned that learned That safety, being loved and accepted, is attached to how well I did in school, 
the type of jobs I got, the type of um, career accomplishments I had, the way my body looked. Yeah, a lot of a lot of apparent stuff there. So how did how did that you know manifest, or rather, what was the manifestation there in the realm of um, men, the people that I was dating? I attracted a lot of people who needed my help in their career. I should rephrase that. They didn't necessarily need my help, but I was like, oh. I know how to do this and I feel safe when I'm the helper or giving in some way. Um, They were depressed or they were suffering in some capacity. Uh, Some of them took digs at me to lift themselves up. So that probably fell under the well. I know how to sort of tolerate that. And like, they're going through something so I can handle that. Um, In general, I found myself always like wanting to fix them, right? That was a replication of something I was probably doing or was doing with each of my parents to try and fill the emotional hole, try to make them feel better, try to make their lives better by uh, what I was doing. I I think of like a, I don't know, like a balancing act, like a clown on a stage, like spinning a plate and balancing something on their nose and like dancing all around being like, feel better, feel better. Um, the, The thing is, the thing is about these individuals and the type of relationships or interactions I attracted was that this was all I knew. This was truly all I knew. That's why when it comes to the subject area, it's like, oh my God, the the greatest amount of compassion. If you relate, it's like, yeah, you learn to be this way for a very good reason. I'd learned to link love and intimacy with performing in this way. In that way, it was safe and it was familiar to me. And as I, I said before, like I still have to work on this in my own marriage by not taking on too much or not being too controlling with my husband. I think I like had planned to talk about this later, but it's like, I can be the total martyr. Um, We've talked about that in a previous episode where James was on, where I can like take on all the stuff. I'll cook the dinner. I'll run that errand. I'll do this. I'll take the dogs out. And then I'm so resentful, but it's like, I, the, the, the sort of catch there's no catch there to stop me before I like scoop all of this work into my hands and take it all on. Right. Because my husband is more than happy to help. And, and I'm fortunate that I don't have a person where I'm like, Oh, can you do that? Can you do this? He, he sees the things that needs to be need to be done. And he does them. It's that I take it on all at once because there's sort of that safety. Um, and the thing that I'm working on now is like slowing that down. So the resentment doesn't build, but it's all, It's all a journey. Hey friends, I am quickly interrupting this episode to mention if you're liking this content, if it's actually helping you make more sense of your dating life, your relationship history, I want to invite you to take that a step further. And I think I like you the online course. This is a completely self-led and super nourishing experience that brings you out of the mental chatter of questions like, what should I do differently? Or what am I doing wrong? Or when will this ever work out? Or why does every guy flake? Or am I just meant to be alone forever? Bringing you out of that and into deep clarity and action. Seriously, folks in the midst of the course are already reaching out to me and saying it's been helping them let go of gnarly thoughts and patterns they've never been able to shake. It's bringing them to places within themselves they've never explored. And even folks who have worked with me privately, but also opted to invest in the course have said that it's bringing brand new things to light that we didn't even get to in our one-to-one work. So much clarity and wisdom is housed within. So if you want to date in a way that isn't so emotionally taxing, if you want to feel less alone in your pursuit of partnership and not bogged down by a feeling like I'm doing it all wrong, because P.S. you're not. If you want to actually meet people you like, seriously, no B.S. promises there, no games, just like legitimate clarity attached to action. If you ultimately want to feel more in charge of your journey to meet someone and not so paralyzed by the fears of it not working out, being alone forever, or just like, when is it going to happen? So stuck in the timeline of it all then I want you to head to ithinkilikeyou.co forward slash course to learn more and sign up today because I promise you there is relief inside. I had this, well, we still work together. She's a phenomenal client. 
but she wrote this thing um, in the beginning of our work together. And, and she definitely falls into this category and this pattern. And I thought it just hit on so well, like the, the internal dialogue, like what we feel when it comes to um, this way of being, and then this way of dating and the type of individuals that we attract. So when we're in this state of like, I know how to work hard. I know how to do, I know how to get shit done. There can be this outcome where it only feels like something um, hmm, is, is right, is worthy if we've worked hard to get it, right? So there may be ways in which we make certain things not count because we didn't suffer through it. So she had written, things of value are scarce and have to be earned. When affection or love is doled out, it's real when it follows some accomplishment. When it is doled out in finite amounts, that makes it valuable. It is motivated to me, motivating to me to play this game and earn this affection. I mean, Mike, draw. Like, it's so real. This is why, like, the chase, the person that won't fully commit. I mean, God, I see myself here through and through where I was like, it just feels so good. It feels so, so good. Um, I think it's also why at times I had like crushes on bosses because it's like my, my work behavior was paired with like, someone was like, you did a great job. And I'm like, Oh my God, I feel so good. And I'm somehow now attracted to you because I've conflated the two. Um, yeah, that, that shit is real. So like with that, let me get back on track here. If someone were to just love you, if it weren't hard or weird or off, they were just like, Hey, yeah, I'm here. I'm into this. It either wouldn't feel good or it would be downright unattractive because that to our nervous system, like to have someone who would just accept us without any effort. So to receive love, praise, adoration, right? I think I, I go back to little girl, Clara, that was like, Ooh, I can be this way and do all these things to make people love me and make people happy. It actually is in conflict with that to have someone like who's emotionally available and show up and want to commit and want to do the thing. It's in direct conflict with our beliefs about who we are. It's not just a way of being. It trickles down to the beliefs about who we are. And as I said before, this is why the chase feels so good because it's like catching prey. I convinced them, right? And I have so been there so many times to the point where like people have been like, I've told, I've written about this. I've told this story, but it was like years ago when I was dating this guy and I was, I was working up to like not play the waiting game where you're like, maybe they'll choose me and I won't have to have a difficult conversation. And so instead on our like third date, basically before we slept together, I was like, listen, I really like you, but I want a relationship and I, I don't know where you stand. And he was like, oh my God, that's so amazing. I love your honesty. Yeah, here's the thing. He specifically said, I want to be dating more than one person. I think he said two people. I can't remember. Either way, it was not, it was not what I wanted. And the interesting thing was that in that moment, I thought because, ooh, I did the hard thing. I had the hard conversation. I would get the thing that I wanted totally did not happen. But did that stop me from going back like several months later and being like, okay, you know what? It's fine. We can just have like a hookup. In the back of my mind, I was like, I'll get him into this and then he will fall in love with me. Nope. Did not work. Spent another three months in that. And that was ultimately like, that was back in 2017. And after that, I was like, okay, Clara, it's time to like, the jig is up time to to wake up to this stuff but you see in there right it's like the accomplishment and the gain and the effort and the whole thing um there's something else i wanted to say yeah it's it, it, it's kind of related but um oh i know what it was it's that with all of this, there's still very much a prevalent category of people who relate to being the overachiever and choosing their career or saying, I've just been focused on my career, but like not focused on dating. Another version of this that is less connected to the like, I've been dating a lot and keep choosing people that don't choose me or don't want to commit is just kind of hiding in that and sticking to the areas of their life that won't reject them. So 
it reminds me of a client who once said to me, I chose the thing that couldn't reject me, which was my career. I did a, there's a reel on Instagram about that, that people went pretty nuts for. Um, but again, when she said that, I was like, yeah, that, that there's so much safety in that. Even though she was like, I've been fired from previous jobs. I've had upheaval in my career. Um, I chose the thing that couldn't reject me. So when we have these people, and you might identify it when I share it in this way, but when we have these people where they're like, yeah, I'm here for this. I'm ready. And we're like, I don't know. Our nervous systems read it as boring or unattractive. Like we'll say something like, I'm just not that into them. Like, I just don't feel any chemistry, but we'll often likely cloak it in something like, well, they don't have the right job or they don't make enough money. Um, we might deem them to be physically unattractive in that sense. It can, it again, is our nervous system being like, no, I'm just, I'm not into that. If you have ever had it where you've worked with someone or you've had a friend and you've met that person and you're like, oh, I'm not physically into them. Cause you weren't thinking that of them thinking of them in that context. And then a few months later, you're like, whoa, they are super attractive to me. We don't get that in dating. So if someone doesn't have that like energy of like, yeah, you're going to have to work for this. And they're just like, I'm here. I'm going to show up. Like, I, I think you are worthy. It's like, gross. It's boring. Um, we can also do things like we think their life goals aren't the same or we'll, we'll pick them apart in some way. We'll just pick them apart in some way. So we'll think like, oh, they're not right for me. And if you're sitting here being like, oh my God, I relate to this. And like, have, have I lost someone who was meant for me? No. If by way of listening to this, you're like, you know, and I've had clients do this. I've had clients do this where they're like, I've been thinking about that person that four or five months ago, I ended things with. And it felt a little boring, but I can't stop thinking about them. It won't leave you, right? And and I also don't believe like that we can't miss the things that are meant for us. And when we get locked into this, like I missed my person, that's more of a scarcity mindset. Uh, But do work to hear that element of like, it's boring or unattractive. It can shake out later in um, a long-term relationship. This is definitely something I have to work on where if things are like smooth, uh, it can feel a little boring. Things are like cake, easy. Uh, you can subconsciously work to create friction. So that's that's something that I, well, you can create friction. You don't necessarily intend to, but the, the friction is on a conscious level. It's there. So it's something that I that I work on um, in my own in my own relationship. It is worth mentioning hyper independence here. I uh, one of my former coaches, Megan Margie, who has been on this podcast before, uh, said to me early on in our work together years ago: extreme independence is a trauma response. Extreme independence is a trauma response. When she said that, I was like, oh God. (laughs) I touted myself for years for my ability to, you know, do everything on my own, but it's because there was so much safety found there from growing up and not quote unquote needing the emotional support of my parents. If I can do it all on my own, I don't need anyone and I'm safe. And as I said before, it can show up when I play the martyr in my marriage and take everything on. And then I resent the hell out of my husband for not doing anything. There could be something in me doing that where like, I'm like, oh, do all the things. I'm going to feel safe. And the reason I keep saying our nervous systems and, and the subconscious is because I'll do this stuff and I won't notice it until I'm on the other side where I'm like, fuck, I resent him. What did I do? <laughs> oh, I usually didn't ask for help. I always did not ask for help. It's like the number one thing I work on communicating my needs. In a dating realm, the hyper-independence maintains that control and that safety. If you meet people who are not emotionally available or don't want to commit, there is some stuck energy. There's something there. And like, if somebody gets too close, I lose control and I lose my independence. Therefore I lose my safety. It's not by chance. 
The thing about being hyper-independent is that it also blocks you from receiving the type of care and love and affection and relationship that you say you want because you have to surrender. You have to give up the control, right? It's like delinking the control, the independence from safety. And it's also, once again, like, let me just back this up a little bit, right? I mean, so many women that are like, I want a guy that is like, ready to build a life together and ready to talk about the future and ready to do this and ready to do that. And is affectionate thinks of me and emotionally available and communicates and you know, wants to shower me with affection. Okay. Actually, no one really says that. So I don't know why I said that, but you get, you get the point, but their beliefs about themselves and the way in which they learn to operate in that earning space, which says I have to do something to receive is in direct conflict to just receiving. And it also relates relates to the self-worth thing. I'm not inherently worthy of it. Like I go back to that little girl. My parents never said, we will love you more. They never said it. I mean, all of this comes subliminally and through facial expressions and size and body language, right? They never said, we'll love you more if you get good grades. But boy, did I know that if I got straight A's like that, that really made a lot of things easier. Actually, it's funny. I'm sitting here recording this with all of you. And I remember like my mom would get the report card and then hand it to my dad. And that would make their, you know, there was an element of their exchange of like, okay, she's doing well. She's doing well. Um, You know, I had a lot of support. I had all the, the time and attention and didn't have to do a ton of chores and didn't need to get a job and tutors and special extracurricular blah, blah, blah programs that I wanted. But boy, was that clear as day for me that 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 doing made a difference. And, and with that comes, I'm not inherently worthy of it. So, 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 so the person that's like, yeah, I'm available, right? I'm here. Let's do something. It can register um, as unsafe and unattractive. If you're listening to this go back and think about the people that were like, yeah, they're nice, but it's something a little, a little off. And it once again, reminds me of something else that that same coach Meg had said to me, which was anything we do not yet have. We do not feel safe to receive. That's true of anything. Relationship, love, money, certain type of lifestyle, anything we do not yet have, we do not feel safe to receive. So if you are dating and you keep attracting people who don't want to commit or, you know, who are in situationships, friends with benefits, blah, 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 there's something you don't feel comfortable receiving. There's something you don't feel deserving of. And if you're like, oh, I, I sit side by side with you in that regard, which is, I mean, back to the whole thing that started this. And I, you, you all have heard me talk about this ad nauseum, why like dating is a numbers game is such utter garbage, but a total runaround. Because if this stuff is like at the foundation, then like you could date a thousand people, right? And it would amount to nothing because it's like the, the foundation, that which creates safety in your body and your world is in conflict. You know, I still find so much safety in work. I remember going through a really terrible breakup a few years ago. And that last month living together, that was like sheer hell. My safe haven was work. And I just poured myself into it, poured myself into it. I had something rough happen a couple of months ago this year. And there was no question that I wouldn't work that day in that period. I was like, whew. Get me to my sessions, get me to whatever needs to be done so so I can not be on, so I can pull out of the feelings. Because if I'm, or rather, not be with my feelings. I wanted to be on <laughs> in a different sense. Because if we're always on, if we're always doing and achieving, if I'm in a session, if I'm writing a newsletter, if I'm producing a podcast, if I'm, I don't know, whatever else needs to get done, creating something for Instagram, right? I can't feel I can't feel. And if we can't feel, we can't build intimacy with ourselves and with others. 
this is why when clients come to me I and say, I never meet emotionally available men, I know our work rests in how can you become more emotionally available to yourself? And where did you learn it wasn't okay to be emotionally, or rather that it wasn't okay to be emotionally available to yourself? Well, I'll tell, I mean, I'll lay it out there. You know, there was a little girl in me who had to shut down a lot of emotional need in order to play a certain role in her family to be the peacekeeper, to be safe, and to be loved. And, you know, I can even see my my brother. My brother had more safety in expressing his emotions. So probably, I probably overcompensated by being like, I am just going to be like, like, I don't know, WD-40. Ease everything, right? No, like, sticky, messy hinges, if you will. Um, so that question of where did you learn it wasn't okay to be emotionally available to yourself, that's a full-on defense mechanism. None of this is like, you're bad, like you're doing it the wrong way. It's more like you learned this in a specific way. And that's why all the dating advice, it's like, just make your profile look like this and just send text messages in this way and and just wait to sleep with someone on such and such date does not matter at all if all of this stuff is going on below the surface. This also gets into the feminine and masculine energy. There's probably a a whole episode that I will do on that, but like feminine energy receiving rests in being. The feminine rests in being, the masculine rests in doing. This is why most overachievers achievers are operating mostly from their masculine. And again, I'm a lot in my masculine. I am. It is a constant effort for me to work to bring it down, bring it down and not be so on. I'm kind of like a spinning top when I get in that space. And and we need the masculine. The masculine brings structure and that's where we actually get things done, but we need to learn to engage with it without cutting off our ability to receive, which rests heavily in the feminine. If you relate, and this sounds like you, I want to walk y'all through some um, things that you can you can actually do here. So if you're struggling in dating, and again, that could be I'm meeting people and I just don't connect with people where there's interest or it's on the same level or, the, or we, our, our lives align in a certain way, or if you're like, I just have so much resistance to it and I barely do it. Or if you're in a relationship where you feel like you're always giving more, kind of carrying dead weight. The opposite is always the medicine. So we're ultimately working to shift. Like if your nervous system learned that always being on and doing is actually safer, what's the opposite? And here's the thing. When I'm talking about, you know, the things you can do to reverse this learned behavior, this understanding of self, this way of being, Dating is just one category. Like so much of the work that I do with clients is like, we're going to look to all the other areas of your life to turn this down. That's why, again, like the, you know, dating as much as you can, meeting as many people, being on as many apps and, and, and really looking at like, well, I went on this many and I still haven't, I still haven't. That's why there's the person who can be like, oh, I went on like two dates and I met my husband. They probably got this shit really sorted out. Right. Then there's there's a lot more ease there because what you're actually open to receiving is the is the thing that you is the thing that you want. And so if you're working to say, okay, I'm going to try and shift the internal way of being, the belief that always being on, always doing something. So this could be when you're at home and you you're like, I can't stop cleaning my apartment. I can't stop organizing. No, be like, okay, I'm gonna watch TV for an hour. It's going to be hard because your body is like, this is not safe. This is not safe. This is why we lead to burnout because it's like, we're going along like thousand miles an hour. And then we're like, oh my God, (laughs) I can't feel I'm having a panic attack. Um, Okay. That love and acceptance isn't inherent. It's gained. What's the opposite, right? What can I, how am I worthy? How am I worthy of this thing right now without 
having a certain job, living in a certain place, making a certain amount of money, having my body look a certain way. How am I worthy exactly right now? Friendship is a really great place to do this, right? Have people who are around you that just that just love you, you know, just, just accept you, can ask them, like, what is it that, that you see in me that you think is so good? Ooh, that's so powerful. I saw a friend compliment my husband this weekend about his um, work as a musician. And I could just, I was like watching from afar and I could just see how powerful it was, you know, and how it really made, it really made a difference. Um, Another thing we're working to shift that achievement keeps us safe and loved. What's the opposite? How could you do less? Can you do less at work? Can you do less for your family? Can you do fewer favors for friends? Can you ask for more help from other people? I had a client, I don't know, give or take a month ago. And she was going on a trip for a weekend. And I said to her, I was like, I want you to ask for someone to lift your bag up in the overhead. I know you can do it, but just, I want you to practice the act of asking for help. I want you to ask for help from a stranger from some other person. So if you're, you know, getting coffee, ask someone to pass you like the cream, like whatever these stupid scenarios, they sound stupid, but they're not ask for help. And then the other thing that ended up happening is that she was sharing an Airbnb and she said, I went and I took the best room. I got there first and I took the best room. And I just, you know, I said, I didn't say I was going to give it up, but I said, if other people wanted to redo the rooms, let me know. But she's like, I just took it and I would never have done that before, right? These are, these are acts of receiving. This is why take it outside of dating um, and it will make such a difference. And then lo and behold, she met someone at the post office, like within, I don't know, a few hours of returning from her trip. So this, this stuff does make a difference. It does, it does work. And in my own life, if I'm looking to, you know, grow how much I can receive in, in my business or how, how um, big this podcast can get her, how big this following is saying, like coming on and saying like, it would really help if you, you know, subscribed, left a review. Like that's me asking asking for help. That's me asking for help, right? And and opening myself up to receiving more. So let me just take a moment and say, like, if you like this, please do leave a review. <laughs> that would be so awesome. And then the final one is, you know, if we learned that it's not safe to express our needs and desires. Ooh, what's the opposite there? Where can you start saying what you mean and feel? And baby steps here, like make it super small, you know, make it with a friend or, you know, this is where like with dating, when I have people, I mean, most of my clients operate in this space, but I'll say for dates, I want you to set it at the exact, like say the time, the exact time you want to meet. Don't give a window don't give like a smattering of days, say the exact time that's most convenient for you and the exact location that's most convenient for you. It's a way of me tripping up their nervous system to because it's the action, it's pairing this with action that actually changes things internally, right? So it's like, I can't sit there and say like, you're safe to express yourself or like you're worthy of like having your emotions be met. That shit doesn't work. So it's like, we have to take actions in order to change the internal landscape and stuff as small as, as that sounds really small, but it's actually super, super significant. So, um, as you can tell y'all, I'm just, I'm just so into it. I mean, again, it's like this whole storyline of like hitting the mid thirties or the later thirties or into the forties, whenever, like the time does not matter. And it's like, you are soaring in your career. You're soaring. And yet there's this area of your life where it's like, it just never works out, never worked out, always hitting a wall. Don't know what I'm doing. The story is not that you work too much. The story is not that there's something wrong with you. The story is not that all the men are gone or you need to move. Okay, I mean, maybe you need to move if it's not, if your soul isn't aligned with where you are. But all that is to say is that um, there is so much going on internally that is in conflict to receiving the thing that you say that you want. And y'all, I sit side by side with you in this regard. This was exactly the internal work that I did to change the landscape in my dating life, my relationship life, and then ultimately my marriage. So 
All right, y'all. I'm going to wrap it for this week. It's a good one. I hope you all are well and having a beautiful summer and I will see you next time. Bye.